Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Each weekday at noon, you'll find me here on 90.3 FM or WPLN.org. Join us as we explore the identity of our city and region. So today's show is all about voter registration. If you're asking why, well, you should know that we have some local primary elections coming up. You want to carry out your civic duty, right? We invite folks who are working on registering voters across Middle Tennessee. We also look for the disparities within who's signing up to vote and who has access in the first place. But first, the Putnam County School Board postponed a decision to eliminate the International Baccalaureate Program after students rallied against the decision. Some worry that the move to ban the IB program is a part of a political and cultural struggle taking place in Tennessee schools. Here to fill us in on the details is Juliana Kim, education reporter at WPLN, and Quentin Ding, junior at Cookville High School. Juliana, Quentin, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for being here. Hey, Khalil. It's great to talk to you again. It's great to talk to you, too. Miss you in the studio, but we'll take this. I know. I'm sad. Nonetheless. So, Juju, start us off. What is the International Baccalaureate Program, and why did the Putnam County School Board want to eliminate it? Oh, yeah. So the IB program, which is a mouthful, but as the name suggests, it's a globally used curriculum that prepares students for college. And people are probably more familiar with AP or the Advanced Placement Program. And, but IB is kind of an alternative to that. Uh, And it's kind of funny because when I talk to students uh, about uh, whether AP and IB are comparable, they would probably say heck no, uh, because Hmm. AP is generally uh, kind of centered around test taking while IB is more essay focused. And that's why students gravitate toward IB in the first place because it's really evaluating whether students are becoming critical and independent thinkers. Um, The situation in uh, Cookville basically in January, uh, the school kind of announced that they were considering phasing out the program. And similarly that uh, the next month, Udawa High School in Chattanooga uh, or near Chattanooga announced the the possibility of similarly cutting their program. And their argument, basically, both in both of those schools, their arguments are similar, which is not a surprising issue uh, in schools generally, but it's the issue of what programs and opportunities are these schools uh, going to prioritize with limited teachers, limited classrooms, and limited funding. And I think the pandemic exasperated those issues and uh, forced these schools to make some hard decisions. Quentin, you reached out to Juju when you heard about this. Tell us, why were you so upset? So I'd like to first point out that I'm not exactly uh, well-connected in the IB program. I'm primarily an AP student. Uh, So, of course, I don't have very strong attachments to the IB program in itself. Um, However, I... What really caused me to react uh, to this decision and really all the other students, um, why we were so uh, enraged by this decision, just how the school board handled themselves and how the school board came to this decision because 
they had not consulted the teachers, they had not consulted the school administration, and of course they have not consulted the students. And uh, you know, when you're talking about removing a decade-old uh, program like the IB program, uh, I feel like it should be common sense to maybe consult the public. Mm-hmm. When you, you mentioned, you said you're enraged. Uh, tell me about the emotions of the students and your classmates when they heard about this decision. Right. Uh, so when we first heard of the decision, we were a little bit shocked because we had no prior notice. And um, I think for the first couple of hours or maybe the first day, we were just a little bit confused on what was happening and we were still getting through that shock. Um, and then the next day, uh, after we were told of the decision, our teachers sat down and uh, our IB teachers sat down and had a talk with us about, um, you know, the decision and seeing some of them being really distraught about it and being very sad about it kind of uh, seeped into us uh, because I think a lot of our students have very strong personal relationships with their teachers. And that's why um, the IB program is so great because it cultivates those relationships. So of course, when you see your teacher, you know, very visibly upset about something, you're going to be upset about it. Um, and uh, it didn't take long until all the students began organizing themselves to respond. Jake Dawes is a senior at Udawa High School, which has also decided to phase out its IB program. As Juliana has mentioned, he recently addressed the Hamilton County School Board. Let's listen. I once thought that education was just about passing a test. I once was a C and D student myself who did not give a second thought to my education. I was not amused by a standard education which asked me to memorize information and fill in a bubble. Learning about the IB program and its values-based teaching is what inspired me to take hold of my own education. IB taught me about a, my, a growth mindset and that it was my choice where I wanted my education to go. IB goes above and beyond by linking knowledge to the seven classes, creating a better understanding of a topic and using what I learned to form my own ideas. Overall, creating an education path that strengthened my critical thinking. Without IB, I wouldn't be where I am today. A student who once was a CD student who failed kindergarten and had a hard time reading is now a straight A student who is number three in his class following two other IB students, all because of IB. Quentin, when, what's your reaction when, when hearing Jake describe what the IB program has meant to him? Uh, frankly, I'm not surprised at all. Um, and going off what Juliana said earlier, uh, the IB program caters to a different type of learner and a different type of, uh, uh, of student who maybe just does not uh, do well under the standardized AP testing or anything of that sort. Uh, so... In the IB program, you hear a lot of stories like Jake's, um, you know, just because that is how it is. And that's how IB uh, differs from AP. So not very surprising, to be honest. Are you and your classmates getting support from your parents? Yeah. Uh, so we were talking about this, Julian and I. And what's so interesting about this uh, specific initiative is that we used our parents as a tool in getting our agenda across or getting what we wanted um, instead of the other way around where it's usually parents using their kids to get what they want. Uh, hmm. But yes, we've, we, a lot of our parents um, have reached out to the school board and they did email and uh, they expressed their support too. Now, you mentioned the school board. Has the, the school board been in communication with you all over this? Uh, it's they have been in communication. I will give them that. Um, but it's been very patchy. A lot of they've received a lot of emails uh, from the students when this was first occurring in February, and uh, 
their response was to respond to those emails with a uh, copy and pasted uh, email format and that uh, was understandable. However, they did, uh, the specific school board member I reached out to did uh, respond personally to me and uh, there was a lot of back and forth um, and a lot of debate going on in that email and a lot of questionable uh, things were said. Um, and I had shared that email to all of the parents and students that were involved in this process. Juju, when you talk today, we've talked today about two school boards eliminating or considering elimination. What do you make of this? Do you see the decision as somehow political or a marker of the current state of our education system? That's a good question. Um, you know, I think that there's two important takeaways to this, just for anyone listening, whether they know what IB is. I mean, it wasn't offered at my high school, so I understand if folks feel like, what the heck is IB? You know, I don't have kids. Why does this matter to me? Why am I a stakeholder in this? I mean, there's two takeaways. One is that, you know, this program in Tennessee is largely located in kind of the our bigger metropolitan cities like Nashville and Memphis. And so when, you know, smaller counties like Putnam have this internationally renowned program, you know, I've heard stories that it's a reason that students and families move to the county or go to that public high school, hmm. you know, or uh, choose that public high school over a private school, right? And I think that that's, or a charter school. So I think that that's an important thing to note. And then the second thing, you know, I, I think the common thread in all of this is that the issue at hand, which has been a common and an ongoing issue this year and last year, is that students care about what they're learning and they want to have agency in those decisions. So I think that's I, I think that that's relevant in uh, what's happening with kind of this early college preparations uh, program in these high school and what's happening with, uh, you know, other curriculums uh, and those feuds that we're seeing uh, in the legislature. Quentin, as a student who's holding on and grabbing your agency, what is next for you and your classmates? So what a lot of our classmates have discussed and realized is that um, this type of process and this type of uh, behavior from local elected officials um, is going to continue and seep over into other uh, matters and not just IB. Uh, so we fully expect them, uh, the school system, to try and remove IB the next year and the year after that. And they will continually try and remove the IB program unless uh, there's such an overwhelming amount of evidence that uh, supports the IB program and its continuation. But uh, as for what the students will do, I think the students are doing fine and what they're doing right now. And that is just waiting until uh, something horrible that the school board has decided on or uh, is horrible that the lo local elected officials has decided on. And they will respond to that just as they responded to the IB program uh, it, decision. There's a couple months of school left. What are your plans for the summer? What are my plans for the summer? Yeah. Um, well, hopefully uh, I, I've applied to a state department program to study abroad in uh, Taiwan and hopefully uh, reconnect to my cultural roots and learn a little bit of, about the language there. Uh, so hopefully I get into that program. But um, other than that, I'm not sure I have a plan. That's awesome. That sounds great. That is Quentin Ding, 
Jr. at Cookville High School. He was joined by Juliana Kim, education reporter at WPLN. Thank you both so much for being with us. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we get into voter registration with Citizen Nashville. We'll answer some of your burning questions about voting and talk to two people who are dedicated to making sure you know how to vote. And also tweet us your questions and comments at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. April 4th is the deadline for registering to vote in local elections. If you are new here, like me, you may not know how to register. If you've been here for a while, your registration may have lapsed. Today, we'll talk about how to cast a ballot and why it matters. My first guest is Tristan Gaspaderic. She is with Please Vote Nashville. Tristan, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So tell me about Please Vote Nashville. First of all, I love the name. It's self-explanatory. <laughs> but what inspired you to start it? Well, you know, it all started. Um, I was really tired of fighting with my uncles on Facebook. And I <laughs> felt that there had to be some sort of um, solution to the frustration I was feeling um, in 2016 after the election. <clears throat> and I had this hunch that uh, my friends weren't voting, and I remember voting in a local election, and I was at the voting booth at 5 p.m. on election day, and there was only six people in my neighborhood in Inglewood who had voted. Wow. And so I just, <clears throat> yeah, I just thought to myself, you know, I really don't think folks are engaged in voting, and, you know, I, I looked into it, and it turns out, you know, less than 20% of people are voting, and even less in some of these local elections, and so I got together with some other frustrated friends and literally in my living room and we started to think about, well, what's the solution? You know, what can we build? How can we be of service? And, you know, we just sort of decided that um, we really needed to register people to vote. We wanted to educate everyone on the ballot because we knew that ballots are written at a graduate school reading level and, um, you know, for example, this May 3rd election has 89 candidates. And we thought, well, gee, who has time to research this many candidates thoroughly? And we also felt that uh, we wanted to raise awareness around local elections. And so we thought about, um, you know, just uh, using social media, going right into people's feed to remind them of when things are happening, deadlines, and also... Uh, creating poster campaigns uh, around town just to say, hey, you know, this is when the election is. So uh, as we continued our work, we realized that a lot of organizations are registering people to vote and also that a lot of people are registered. They're just not showing up. So we've focused lately on uh, basically an all-volunteer free guide to voting in Davidson County. It's a zine. And in the last few years, we've partnered with uh, an amazing illustrator, Cami Berrigan. So it's just this beautiful, uh, it's called Ballot Breakdown, and it just profiles in a nonpartisan non way, profiles every candidate on the ballot, and it's a free online PDF. And we've also partnered uh, 
with the contributor, as you know, which is a newspaper organization that helps lift our neighbors, our Nashville neighbors out of homelessness. So it's printed in your contributor and that'll be coming out April 15th. And so you can help with homelessness in Nashville while also getting a, a physical paper copy of the guide. And if you're more of an online person, you can um, visit pleasevotenashville.org and, and download a free PDF. Our political environment can be pretty divisive, divisive, I'm sorry, (laughs) you know, and so how does Please Vote Nashville help to try to navigate that? Well, I, I think that one of the issues is that if you were, we found that most people that don't vote were raised in households that didn't talk about politics. And I could see somebody turning on CNN or turning on Fox News and having it feel really confrontational to be a part of the political process. But what we do is we cover who is the candidate, where are they from, what's their educational background, what is their volunteer experience, what offices have they held, how do they talk about their values. And by doing that, we sort of take the emotion out of it. We just profile these candidates, who are they? And then as a voter, you can say, hey, these are my values. I'm looking at this profile. I would much rather vote for, you know, someone who volunteers in the community or someone who's a pastor than maybe a real estate agent, you know, whatever yeah. your, however your values lay out or, um, it just kind of, it kind of works for itself. And we don't ever get involved in telling anyone, any of our followers or anyone, uh, who reads our, uh, guide. We don't tell anyone how to vote. Um, it's unemotional, really. It's just, you know, a snapshot of who this person is and, and the hard facts on what they do on a daily basis for the community. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. Citizen Nashville is the topic this hour. We're talking about the importance of voting with folks who are working to register people to vote. I'd like to bring in my next guest, Jimmy Garland is the president of the Clarksville branch of the NAACP. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Khalil, so, for inviting Oh, uh, really a pleasure to have you here with us, sir. So tell me, how did you get started in voter registration efforts? Well, after a 29-year uh, service uh, with the military, I, uh, my family and I, we settled in Clarksville, Tennessee uh, as our home place. Uh, and right after that, I was trying to figure out how do I give back to my community? Then I got involved in politics and then I became totally engulfed in uh, NAACP work, which is advocacy for civil rights. Why is voting so important to you? Uh, voting uh, is, is important to me because that is how we actually get people in office that uh, think like we think and also uh, actually work for our on our behalf. A lot of people say that they don't have no reason to vote, but uh, when to make that statement is naive uh, because the reason why a lot of people don't have uh, healthcare today, uh, they don't have good jobs, uh, they don't have, they're not able to be able to afford the home that they want is because they are not voting because the people that are in office are in office for party affiliation and not for public participation. So talk to me about rural counties. What should we know about rural voters and their access to voting? Well, well, uh, I'm glad that you asked that question, because in Clarksville this year, 
uh, we are going to be expanding our reach. Uh, basically, uh, over the last 10 or 15 years that I've been president of the local branch of NAACP, we've been focused just on Montgomery County. Well, this time we're going to be focusing on Montgomery, uh, Houston County, Stewart County, and Robinson County. And the reason why we're doing that, Cleve, is because uh, those counties don't have an advocacy organization that will actually help them to be able to navigate the things that politician does. You know, a politician, all he wants is your vote. Uh, once they get in office, they do what they want to do. But if you know, uh, like the young lady said just before me, if you know what their uh, background is and you know how they think and you know what their beliefs are, then you get a better chance of having someone in public office that uh, believe like you believe and will actually support your needs. Okay, so more people tend to vote in national and statewide elections. Sure. But two years ago, less than 15 percent of Nashville's population cast a ballot in the general election for mayor. That's less than 15 percent. I'd like to hear from both of you on this. Why do you think so many people are choosing not to participate in elections? Tristan. I think that there is a concerted effort to sort of obscure elections. And, um, you know, I don't feel like there's really in other states, um, there are state funded voter guides that are very comprehensive that go out to all voting people. Um, so I think a lot of it is just um, getting into the routine and being reminded about it and being reminded about early voting. You know, it doesn't have to be on um, the day of the election. There's a two week period. And I think it's just not convenient. And so that's why we really work to make uh, we work to be of service in making it easy and convenient and to get into the practice of it Um and I, you know, just to let everybody know, I think people feel one of the reasons we know people don't vote is because they feel that their vote doesn't count. But I mean, we are looking at margins of four to 5,000 votes for these elections. So if there's any place that your vote really holds weight, it's in these primary elections. And we know that Davidson County mostly votes Democrat, but there's a difference between Democrats. And to say you're a conservative um, or you're, you know, uh, normally vote Republican, you could uh, vote in these elections to help choose a Democrat that aligns with your values. So um, I just think that it's dispelling this belief and it's it's holding. I think politicians don't feel uh, accountable because so few people vote. I think you really it really does matter and it really does change how people behave in office and it does change um the stakes and 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 listening to your community and 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 being accountable to the needs of the community jimmy i'd like to hear your thoughts well one of the main reasons why people of color are not are not voting is because of voter suppression tactics tactics that are being employed by the people in in positions of authority uh, also, uh, you know, a lot of people think uh, in off years election, like what we're coming up on now, that there's no reason to vote. Well, during the off, off year election, that's when you have your state senator, your house representatives, your school board representatives, your county commissioners and your city council. All of those people affect what what you can actually put on the table when it comes to the dollars that you make. And a lot of people, uh, they're looking at, well, this is a red state. So they are going to win anyway. 
Well, the bottom line is, you know, it might, the state might be red now, but they don't have to remain red. Uh, if the people would actually decide that they want to make a difference uh, for the people of Tennessee, if they really want uh, good health care, if they really want uh, to be able to have good jobs, they will go to the polls this year, just like they did in 2020. Uh, even though the numbers were low, the people did come out last uh, in 2020. Uh, and we are hoping that the same thing had happened in 22 and even more so in 2024. We have a listener question on voting that I'd like to share with you both. Joseph from Brentwood asks, which areas have been changed due to redistricting this year? And where are the new congressional and district maps? Jimmy, you want to take this one? Well, uh, my, my response to that is that uh, many voters will be displaced. Uh, we'll be moved to other uh, polling places uh, as a result of redistricting. Uh, what, I what I ask them to do is make sure that they go down to the Elections Commission before the vote and try to and ask them where are they, are they supposed to go to vote. Even if you don't, if you don't, and uh, the Election Commission is also supposed to send you a new card based on the fact of your new voting area. But if you don't get a card and if you forget to go down to your election uh, uh, commission, go to the place where you uh, where you have normally voted, because at that place, even if your name is not on their list, you can file a provisional ballot and don't leave there without filing a provisional ballot. If they have a problem, if you want to call me, 931-216-6745, uh, we will try to get we will get you some help. Uh, so that you can actually file, uh, uh, file, I mean, cast your ballot for a candidate of your choice. All right, there you go, Joseph. You have uh, Jimmy's phone number and a method to answer your question. But what about absentee balloting? Has anything changed? Tristan, uh, can you answer this question? Nothing has changed with absentee voting. You can, um, there's a deadline uh, that's important to know, um, and I'm looking that up right now. I don't have it by memory. But um, it's coming up soon. I believe it's next week. So you do have to observe the deadline to file your absentee, um, to receive an absentee ballot. But nothing's changed with that. That's available to everyone if you're going on vacation. If you aren't going to be here for some reason, you can file an absentee ballot. Okay. Twitter user at Tara Aaron, on, at Tara underscore Aaron asks, Whatever happened to that challenge to Democrats voting in Republican primaries? Is that forbidden now? Jimmy, can you answer Tara's question? I don't think it has been. Uh, well, well, right now in Clarksville, Montgomery County, if you're a Democrat, you can't vote in a Republican primary. So I'm, I think it's still, it's still in uh, play. A question from our editors. What should mobile residents who move often do about the address on their license not matching up with their new residence? Tristan? Uh, bring a piece of mail indicating your new address. You do not have your ID does not have to match. Um, you just have to just for your own proof, bring a piece of new mail with the current address and your name on it, and um, you should be fine. Okay, okay. And Tristan, what do you have to yes. say to anyone listening who may feel uninspired, uninformed, who may just say, "Hey, I'm too busy to vote." What do you have to say to them? Um, it's <laughs> Listen, I have to say follow Please Vote Nashville on social media or visit us at pleasevotenashville.org. It takes 
it will take about an hour to read through the ballot, um, through our profiles. And it takes, I mean, I early vote every time. So check the early voting schedule. And I never wait in line uh, for early voting. Usually it's very quick. Um, I think that uh, you make the time, you know, I, I don't know what else to say. I understand feeling out of practice with it. But I think a lot of people are looking for ways to alleviate the stress and pressure they feel. Uh, I just encourage you not to turn to apathy and, and you know, get a taste of a little blind optimism mm. um, because it really does every day, you know, we can't extract ourselves from a painful history. We can't extract ourselves from capitalism if that's what we want. <laughs> um, we can't extract ourselves from the waste and from climate change and all these things that are out of our control. But we do have little powers every day and little choices we can make every day. And we do our best, you know, we fail, but every day we just try. And voting is a very small way that we make change. I think there's this idea that um, change uh, is this big, huge thing, um, like you move mountains, but actually it's the small things like, for example, offering your phone number to help somebody uh, cast a ballot. It's these small little things like go online, download a, the ballot, break down, read about it and vote. And that little drop it, uh, becomes a wave. So I think it's just these little, uh, little everyday things we can do to make our community better. And I really do feel like there is a difference in candidates and it, and it does matter who's on the school board for your children or for your neighbor's children. It does matter who is the, who, what judges are presiding over our criminal courts. It does. These are things that are sort of, um, out of everyday view. They're not as um, um, kind of celebrity driven as a presidential elections, but they actually have the most effect on you and your neighbors. That is Tristan Gasparderic of Please Vote Nashville. Tristan, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Jimmy Garland is going to stay with us. We have to take a short break, but when we come back, we talk with a panel of folks who are working to get diverse communities registered and explain some of the challenges they face. And also, as always, tweet us your questions and thoughts at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. We are talking about voting and voter registration this hour. Monday, April 4th is the last day to register to vote in upcoming local elections. So Citizen Nashville is here to help inform you to exercise your right to vote. Recently, the group TIRRC, or Turk Votes, took part in Refugee Day on the Hill, and a few of their members shared a little bit about their experience. Here's a sample. Yeah, so today we talked to our legislators about the importance of keeping our immigrant communities united and healthy. We asked them to vote no on bills that are harmful to our communities, whether it's our children separating them from their families, whether it's our students not letting them have equal access to education, and we also shared our stories. The day on the hill is going great. We have talked to so many representatives. We are out here advocating for um, equal rights, equal protections, and professional licenses. 
Hey, uh, it was so awesome. It was my first day here on the Hill. Um, I definitely learned a lot. I learned that our fight still isn't over and um, we still have a long way to go, but that we're getting really close to it. That was Sari Lara Gomez, Litsi de la Paz, Maya Salas. Joining us now is Pratik Dash of Turk Votes. Pratik, we heard Maya at the end saying the fight isn't over. What what's this fight that she's talking about? Yeah, thanks, Khalil. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I think that you know the fight fight is always ongoing. I would say, especially in a state like Tennessee. I like to say that we uh, play a lot of defense. If you compare us to a soccer team, I like to say that uh, we have 10 defenders and we're kind of like, you know, make sure the other team doesn't score. And then we kind of send one forward out there and we're like, if you, if you get a goal, you get a goal. Um, I think that we've had a history of a lot of anti-immigrant bills uh, and legislation um, over the years. Uh, and, you know, we, we at Turk, the Tennessee Immigrant and Refugee Rights Coalition and Turk Votes, we've killed uh, over over 200 bills, uh, uh, anti-immigrant bills that have come after our communities. And so um, really trying to hold the line and, and stay strong while, uh, you know, pushing a little bit of proactive legislation here and there when we can and sending our one forward out there to score a goal. What inspired you to get involved? Yeah, thanks um, for asking. You know, uh, I I am uh, pretty much born and raised in, in Tennessee. I was born in Texas, moved to Tennessee when when I was very young. Um, And I remember after 9-11, I was in eighth grade. I I was going to school in Franklin. So back then uh, in Franklin, Tennessee, um, I like to say that my school was black, white and me. Um, Mm -hmm. And as a as a person with brown skin, uh, you know, that was when 9-11 happened. And uh, I remember I went to my parents and wanted to get twenty dollars to donate to the victims of the families. And um, I I went to donate that money. I was giving the money to one of the parent volunteers who was collecting the money. And I reached out and and was going to give her the $20. And she pushed my hand back and said, sweetie, we don't take money from terrorists. Um, Whoa. And so I, I think, yeah, it's my first ever, like, you know, overt you know, racism that I had ever felt in my life. Um, And I think that, you know, what drives me every single day to do this work is I don't want anyone to ever feel the way that I felt in that moment. Um, I understand that I can't lift all of that and make all that change just by myself. But, um, you know, there are other folks that have felt that, that don't want their kids and their grandkids to feel that. And we want to make sure that we can take small steps forward so that no one has to experience anything like that again. The fact that she said, sweetie, before she dropped this racist bomb on you, I can only imagine how that must have felt. Um, I apologize for that, my friend, and I'm glad to see that you've bounced back and you've become inspired to make some change. Let me introduce our next guest. Jeremy White is with the organization Free Hearts. Jeremy, tell me about the work you do with them. So um, I started off as a fellow uh, being formerly incarcerated, coming through the reentry process. they helped me during the reentry process um, and gave me toolkits and knowledge. Uh, went through a leadership development program, uh, ultimately became a trainer, uh, and just really learned about what voting restoration, voting rights uh, really means to the individual, especially individuals who are justice impacted. Uh, Free Hearts has had a big impact. Uh, on my life's journey since I've been out 
that's helped me to excel uh, in many ways and finding uh, just resources in a network. Uh, and that's why I continue to work with Free Hearts. After you were released from prison, did you find it difficult to regain your voting rights? So initially, um, when I got out, the process itself was just, um, it was difficult because you just don't have a sense of direction. Uh, and once you do get a sense of direction, you have to navigate so many uh, entities, for example, the parole board, the criminal court clerk's office, uh, the election commission's office, getting things in mail, trying to navigate transportation and really trying to go through the reentry process. And it is a difficult process. So Jimmy Garland from the NAACP is still with us. Jimmy, from what Jeremy and Pratik have shared with us, there appears to be like a theme of voter disenfranchisement. What are you seeing in terms of barriers to the ballot box? Well, the, uh, the, the barriers to the battle, the, the battle, <laughs> the ballot box uh, stems from uh, people in leadership position that have no compassion for others. You know, in 1965, when I was a, when I was, I guess I was about 16 years old at that time. Uh, I remember Dr. King and, and, uh, and all of those guys walking up down the street singing Kumbaya. Uh, now is the time for us as a community, uh, whether you're in Nashville, Clarksville, uh, wh whatever city you're in, uh, be, we need to come together and make sure that we join around the ballot box and make sure that we cast ballots for our own candidates that, uh, that we can identify with. Um, I understand what Patrick's talking about. I understand what Jeremy is talking about. Uh, we have, uh, the NAACP have partnered with some uh, organizations that deal with, I think we, uh, the state conference and uh, TRC is our partners. Uh, also, uh, Freeheart is a partner of the NAACP. We work with them uh, during our uh, uh, rest, voter restoration that we host here in Clarkville two, two to three times a year. Uh, trying to make sure that the people that return home after incarceration uh, can get their ballots back. But I encourage them to be encouraged uh, because the bottom line is, you know, America is, is trending brown uh, and people are very concerned and they are, they are running scared uh, uh, because of that. But one thing I know about my people, my people are not vengeful. My people will do the right thing. And all we have to do is continue to march up that road that we've been talking about, you know, and let nobody turn us around. Uh, because when we allow them to turn us around, we're moving backwards, but we must go forward. And the, our, our, our slogan today is when we fight, we win. Pratik, what about people whose first language is not English, yet they're citizens and have the right to vote? What difficulties do they face in the process of voting? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, a lot of our communities who are not English speaking, um, you know, I think that a lot of the materials like voter registration forms, the online voter registration form, all of that is in English. And if you look at other states, there's states like California and Florida that, you know, have translated those materials and given an opportunity for these community members to register and be a part of the civic process. But um, by not switching those, you know, 
I think that some communities may see it as a form of voter suppression. I think the other thing that non-English speaking and, and just communities of color in general kind of deal with is that, um, you know, I think candidates, when they are knocking on doors and trying to mobilize folks to vote, what's happening is they don't go after um, what we call low propensity voters. So I'll give you a good example, Khalil, and I'll try and be quick. I know we're running against the clock here, but mm -hmm. suppose we have seven people voting and three of them are regular voters, right? There's one person that like is registered but doesn't really vote a lot. One of them is a green card holder, can't vote yet. And two of them are people who like, you know, they registered but they can't get out of work. Well, when a candidate goes to knock on doors, they're not going to go knock on the doors of the four people that aren't regular voters. They only care about the three regular voters, right? And so what's happening is three is not 50% of seven. So everyone talks about how democracy is amazing and majority rules. Well, majority, you know, can't vote if everyone who isn't eligible to vote isn't voting. And I think I can speak for the three organizations here. You know, all three organizations, Turk especially, um, and the NAACP and Free Hearts all believe that democracy only works when the uh, democracy only works when all eligible voters are voting, and then when the majority of that group actually ends up voting, that is when you know democracy is functioning properly. And I think that's kind of our mission at, at Turk and, and Turk Votes. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about voter registration with people who are working to get voting access to some of our state's most disenfranchised communities. So, Jeremy, people who were formerly incarcerated face legal barriers to retaining their voting rights, but there's also obstacles they face from general public perception. Talk to me about that. Like, what is the public misunderstanding? Well, you know, I got an opportunity to speak at the Cordell Hall building in front of the um, House uh, Subcommittee on Criminal Justice Reform. And when I spoke, the one thing that the topic that I brought forward was substance, not balance. And the reason why I did that is because there's a lot of substance to the criminal justice reform legislation that's being brought uh, forward. There's uh, wonderful legislators um, House representatives and senators that are really working hard and trying to see it, but it's not balanced. It's not balanced in a way that's going to have the greatest impact statewide in communities that have been disenfranchised. And we have to find a way as communities and as leaders to be able to have a comprehensive dialogue about finding that balance and bringing individuals out in a way where voting is something that we enjoy to do, that we enjoy the individuals that are representing us, and that we don't have individuals layering oppression on top of oppression. So a big part of being formally incarcerated, when you go through that process, you're already in a state of oppression in prison. And coming out, you don't want to continue to have to face layers of that from a system. So oftentimes I beg the question, you know, we always look at the risk and needs assessments of individuals in prison. What are we doing to look at the system and the impact that it's having on the people in general? Jimmy. Just the overall message. So mm -hmm. thank you. Mm -hmm. Jimmy, what do you say some misconceptions people have about voting? Well, uh, one of the main ones is uh, they'll tell me that my vote don't count. Uh, and then there are some that say, well, you know, only crooks uh, run for public office. 
And my response to those people that say those things is that, well, yes, your vote will not count if you don't vote. Uh, the bottom line is, you know, if if uh, and also those that say that crooks only crooks are, are actually in politics. I ask them, are you a crook? Mm-hmm. Um, bottom line is, I, uh, I, I know that I'm a Christian. I know that I love God and I know God loves me. Uh, I asked my bishop several years ago if I could run for school board uh, because I wanted to be an advocate for the children. Okay. I want, he, oh, he, go ahead. I want to thank you so much. That's Jimmy Garland. He was also along with Jeremy White. They were joined by Pratik Dash. Thank you all so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks to all of our guests for offering their insights, expertise, and experience. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, after over a decade of service, the little pantry that could is ending operations. We explore the effect of that loss and talk to others who are working to address hunger in their communities. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Jukola Lane, Sekou Franklin, Nat Morales, D. Patrick Rogers, and Juliana Kim. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, Tasha AF Lemley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope.